0: A very, very long time ago, at the moment our universe came into being, there was silence. And then, before the stars or galaxies began to form, the first sound waves reached through the young universe. Sound, the pronouncement of existence, wove a new note, a call into the expanse of creation. This week, we're sharing when the earth started to sing an audio experience by biologist and acclaimed author David George Haskell. Adapted from his Pulitzer finalist book, Sounds Wild and Broken, it invites us to be attentive to the songs and stories that thrum in the air around us. Hearing three billion years of our planet's sound evolution, a lineage of language, in the trills, hoops, barks, bugles, clicks, and pulses of the life around him, David shares the connection to both deep time and the more-than-human world that can be found when we tune into the Earth's orchestra. Made entirely of the tiny, trembling waves in air, the fugitive, ephemeral energy we call sound, this experience combines human speech with other voices to immerse our senses and imaginations in the generative, provoking, and unifying power of sound. I recommend that you listen with good headphones if you can. Let your ears experience, explore, and enjoy in an open-ended way.
1: Sound is more ancient than planet Earth more ancient even than atoms. 13 billion years ago, the first sound waves pulsed through the hot plasma of the early cosmos. At that time, the universe was a compact, blazing mire of protons and electrons. Waves of high and low pressure seethed through this plasma, the first sound waves in the cosmos. These waves seeded the first stars. The peaks of the waves became clusters of atoms that slowly drew more matter into themselves, eventually forming stars and galaxies. Sound also left ripples in the invisible radiation that, to this day, pervades the universe. Look to the skies at night in the patterns of the stars We see the wave marks of primordial sound now etched into the spacing of galaxies. The same remnant waves pass through us every moment in the background radiation of the universe. Sound from its origins was a creative force with lasting effect. This generative power continues to the present day. Sound connects catalyses, unifies, and provokes. On planet Earth, before life evolved, sounds were of air, water, and stone. We hear fragments of this early Earth today, in the spasms of earthquakes and the sounds of wave-pummeled seashores, windy mountaintops, rainfall, and lively rivers. These experiences transport us to an early Earth, before life sung or spoke. When life first appeared, Sound found a new creative partner. Cells shivered and hummed. To this day, bacteria and other single-celled creatures send out tiny sound waves, murmurs, and fizzes, so quiet that only the most sensitive lab equipment can detect them. Some bacteria are stimulated by the sounds of their kin. But as far as we know, and our knowledge is rudimentary, Single-celled beings do not communicate by sound. No bacterium shouts warnings to its neighbors. No yeast cell warbles to its mate. Early animals evolved and diversified between six and 500 million years ago. First as ribbon and disc-like soft creatures, then as creatures with shells and skeletons. Many of these ocean-dwelling ancients evolved sophisticated sensors for light, sound, and chemicals. But as far as we know, they did not communicate by sound. It would take about another 200 million years or more for animals to call or sing. Why? did sonic communication take so long to blossom? We do not know for sure, and paleontologists may yet discover fossils of ancient sound makers, but the keen ears of listening predators may have muzzled life's sonic evolution. All of the early animal predators, arthropods and fish especially, could detect vibrations in water or later tremors in the soil on land. To cry out was to invite death. No creatures sang when the seas first swarmed with animal life or when the ocean's reefs first rose. Primeval forests contained no trilling insects or chorusing vertebrate animals. For more than nine-tenths of its history Earth lacked any communicative sounds. Animals signaled only by catching the eye of another, or through touch and chemicals. These primordial times lacked song, but were not silent. Water seethed against reefs, and wind stirred the fern-like leaves of the first forests. Animal legs scrabbled on sand and soil. Fins and flappers paddled the water and mouths crunched on food. But the vocal planet that we inhabit today is, from the perspective of animal evolution, a recent emergence, one strangely, gloriously lush with living sound. the evolution of insect wings opened the door to song on land. Flying insects could rapidly escape from predators, and so making sound was no longer so risky. Wings also turned out to be excellent sound makers. Their papery surfaces were connected to pulsing flight muscles, like loudspeakers hooked up to amps. An extinct cricket-like species from 270 million years ago called Permostridulus, is the first known singer on land. A row of nubs protrudes from a raised wing vein. Rubbed by the other wing, these nubs would have rasped. Did these sounds attract mates? Repel rivals? Or were they defensive? like the alarm buzzes that many modern arthropods give when threatened. We cannot know, but we can imagine the sound. Earth's tentative first song. After Promostridulus, over the next 100 million years, new forms of singing insect appeared. Ancestors of modern crickets and katydids, with ever more precisely crafted sound-making ridges on their wings. Predecessors of living cicadas and their kin, such as treehoppers, rattling, trilling, and whining from sound-making folds in their exoskeletons. In freshwater streams, stoneflies likely drummed their abdomens on rocks. The world's first percussionists listen to the insects in a city park in autumn in a meadow on a hot summer's day in the lush evening of a tropical forest you are transported into the rhythms and textures of the land's first singers Frogs likely joined the chorus about 200 million years ago, a date inferred from the timing of the split between modern singing frogs and their silent relatives. All land vertebrates have a larynx, the muscular top end of the windpipe. Frogs turned this protective valve into a singing reed. No doubt their jumping legs, like those of cricket's, Help them to get away from any listening predators. the amphibian's scaly-skinned cousins, reptiles, later also modified the larynx into a sound maker. Modern reptilian species hint at what would have been possible. Turtles call with tonal or wheezy pulses during breeding. Crocodile youngsters chirp at their mothers and mating adults bellow. Geckos chatter with calls richly layered with harmonics, and many reptiles hiss when threatened. For some dinosaurs, we can make more precise speculations. The head of the nine-meter-long Parasaurolophus bore a long, backward-extending crest. Air pipes looped within this crest. Like a head-mounted tuber, The crest amplified and projected low frequency sounds produced by the larynx. 200 million years ago, the trilling and chirping of insects were joined by a rich assemblage of amphibian and reptile sounds, from deep booms and rumbles to high yelping. Sound in the deep history of the oceans is harder to perceive. Paleontologists have so far found no fossilized, rasping, stridulating or percussive devices on any sea creature from the first four or 500 million years of animal evolution. But despite this lack of fossil evidence, it is possible that the ancestors of ancient groups of living fish like polypterus or sturgeon made rumbling or thumping sounds with their muscles, swim bladders or primitive lungs as far back as 340 million years ago as their distant descendants do today. Other communicative sound makers in the early oceans may have been the spiny lobsters. Still common in warm oceans today, spiny lobsters rub the base of their antennae along a track near the ice, eliciting a yelp that can travel more than a kilometer underwater. family tree of spiny lobsters, split from other crustaceans 220 million years ago, although the timing of the appearance of antennal squealers is unknown. Just as the abyssal depths of today's oceans live in mostly dark mystery to humans, so too do the depths of oceanic sonic time. From about 150 to 50 million years ago, two revolutions vastly increased the Earth's sonic diversity. Underwater, the breakup of a giant supercontinent and a burst of evolution produced many sound-making groups of crustaceans and fish. On land, the evolution of flowering plants triggered a diversification of singing animals. In the oceans, as the supercontinent Pangea fragmented, sea animals diversified. The climate at that time was a hothouse and seas abounded with plankton and other foods. A sexual revolution, too, further promoted species diversity. Many of the species of crustaceans and fish from this time, for reasons not fully understood, bred by body-to-body mating instead of by casting their sperm and eggs into open water. This quirk of sexuality divided species into locally adapted subpopulations, which soon evolved into new species. Dip a hydrophone into most aquatic habitats today, and you'll hear the voices of fish and crustaceans whose taxonomic groups first evolved sound-making devices or became common during this time. Catfish, piranhas, squirrelfish and drums use high-speed muscles to make their swim bladders purr, tap or squeak. Butterfly fish and cichlids vibrate their ribs and limb girdles. Seahorses click their head and neck bones. Damselfish slam their teeth. Catfish strum their pectoral fins. Crabs and lobsters stridulate, using corrugated ridges on their skeletons to hum and rasp, structures that first evolved during the breakup of Pangea. Snapping shrimp raise sparkling clouds of sound by repeatedly slamming shut their tiny claws. These common animals of warm waters split from other crustaceans about 150 million years ago, although their snapping claws may date to more recent times. Whales, seals, and other marine mammals were latecomers to the oceans, arriving between 50 and 20 million years ago. In a deliciously convoluted evolutionary path, the structure that stopped water flowing into the lungs of the first land vertebrates, the larynx, returned to the water and sang, helped by whistling air sacs and lips. to the creative forces of climate, geography, and sexuality that spurred the sonic diversity of fish and crustaceans, we can add the later opportunistic colonization of the seas by hungry mammals. On land, the diversity of sounds flared during roughly the same time periods as the expansion in the ocean. One trigger was likely the evolution of flowers. Literally, a flourishing of sound. Flowers and fruits are rich in sugars, oils, and proteins. Bonanzas for animals. This abundance created new ecological connections among plants and the animals that pollinated flowers, dispersed fruit, drank sap, and nibbled leaves. Co-evolution between animals and flowering plants fed the diversification of both groups a creative reciprocity. Insect diversity, especially, rapidly grew in concert with the rise of the flowering plants, family trees of sound-making insects, like katydids, crickets, grasshoppers, moths, flies, beetles, ants, bees, and wasps, splay out in profusion, coincident with the appearance and rise of flowering plants. Biologists refer to this period as the Terrestrial Revolution, a burst of evolutionary creativity. What of bird song in this flower and insect-filled world? Feathered dinosaurs took wing about 150 million years ago. Birds then diversified into a wide range of forest and water-dwelling species. But these birds likely did not sing as modern ones do. The syrinx, that unique sound-making organ in the chests of living birds, appears in the fossil record only about 68 million years ago. Birds from earlier times may have sounded more like modern reptiles than modern birds. Luckily for the soundscapes of our present world, the birds that possessed the syrinx were among those that made it through the calamity of an asteroid impact 66 million years ago, a collision that wiped out most of the world's forests and other terrestrial life. Forest-dwelling birds, especially, were decimated. As forests and other habitats slowly came back, birdsong diversified. Had the asteroid not hit, bird communities today might still be dominated by species without the syrinx. Birdsong as we know it might not exist. In modern birdsong, then, we hear the evolutionary legacy of lucky escape from catastrophe, followed by innovation and renewal. Before flowering plants evolved, the soundscape of the terrestrial world was dominated by a few insect voices, along with some frogs and perhaps reptiles. By the Cretaceous, before the asteroid strike, the insect chorus was more like that of our time, joined by frog trills and yelps and the hisses, bellows, and squeals of reptiles but no chorus of avian melodies met the dawn. This was a greenhouse world of high carbon dioxide, and the land was cloaked with lush forests, even close to the poles. Surely, this was the first time that the air thrummed and pounded worldwide with diverse communicative sounds of life. Earth finally Was wrapped in song. Among the early reptiles were our ancestors, proto mammals. No doubt a few added to the early reptilian chatter. For the Earth's soundscape, though, the most significant event in early mammalian evolution was the evolution of milk. Mammals owe our voices to great-great-great-grandmothers, the proto-mammals who started lactating about 200 million years ago. The gift of milk necessitated a reworking of the throat and jaw. To suckle, young mammals needed muscular throats and mouths. Mammalian throat bones and muscles thickened, strengthened, and elaborated. Evolution wasted no time in putting these innovations to work in the service of sound making. Today, the bugling of elk, barking of coyotes, Echo locating clicks of bats, ultrasonic songs of rodents, purrs of cats, and the varied calls of ungulates, primates, and marine mammals are all, at least in part, legacies of this sturdy and complex throat. subtlety and range of human speech, and the resulting triumphs of vocal culture, are bequests from ancient mothers. Mammalian femininity gave us human speech and song, or gave us the potential to use our voices. Other primates have vocal tracts with roughly similar layouts as ours, Human language required genetic and cultural changes unique to our species. At least half a million years ago, genetic changes reworked our ancestors' brains, forging richer connections between memory, speech, and hearing. These new vocal talents allowed us to communicate and understand knowledge and stories. Now, Our throats and mouths impart layers of meaning to flowing, vibrating air. As if by telepathy, we instantaneously convey to distant others ideas and emotions. These sonic connections remake the world by giving humans extraordinary power. Yet, they are made of the most ephemeral stuff on Earth. Tiny, trembling waves in air. Human sonic innovation goes further than our voices. We merge our bodies with the substance of other species, waking sounds previously unknown. We call these chimeric unions musical instruments. Hollow bird bones, animated by human breath, first produced such music at least 40,000 years ago in Ice Age caves just north of the European Alps. This merger of human sonic art with the materiality of the living earth continues today. Instrumental music is powered always by relationship to other species. Skins on drums, wood in violins, oboes, and guitars, metal ore in strings and brass instruments, hair in bows, ancient algae molded into the plastic of keyboards and burned coal animating electrical amps. Instrumental music delivers a powerful experience of bodily intimacy with the more than human world. Even when we hide or are unaware of the ecological relationships on which the music is founded, we are immersed in interbeing. For all our innovations, though, we humans were a quiet species for hundreds of thousands of years. Like most other primates, at close range, we were garrulous, effervescing with communicative sound, but our small populations kept the noise down. This changed as some human populations rose, gathering in towns and cities, Among the very first written works, preserved on clay tablets from Babylonian times, are complaints about urban noise. During this time, too, many cultures cleared forests and other habitats. Sounds changed. Fewer forest birds and more crickets in grain fields and rice paddies. In the cities, new sounds emerged. Clatter of vehicles, hubbub of markets, and percussive beats of construction and early machines. Sonic transformation vastly accelerated when we unearthed coal, gas, and oil. The cacophony that fossil fuels bring to the world is powered by the bodies of creatures that lived in much quieter eras of Earth's history. From these deep, tranquil wells, we draw ancient sunlight and impose new soundscapes. In some places, these are soundscapes of erasure, the lost acoustic exuberance of felled forests or overfished oceans. In others, we create bedlam, the relentless seismic gunfire of oil prospectors in the oceans, the ever-rising barrage of shipping noise, and on land, the injustices of industrial and urban noise. In all of today's sonic changes, there is a crisis of inattention and disconnection. If we truly listened to the songs of frogs, birds, and insects, would we tolerate suburban sprawl and the graveyard of biodiversity that are lawns and exotic ornamental landscaping? Would we feel differently about fueling an economy with oil if we were immersed in the relentless pounding of seismic exploration in the oceans? If we could hear the disappearance of birds, insects, and primates, would we be so keen to feed ourselves and our farm animals on palm oil and soy from plowed prairie and clear-cut rainforest? Sensory disconnection severs one necessary root of human ethics, which is sensual, embodied understanding. Not listening is ruinous, whether through choice, apathy, or the dislocations of the global economy. Sounds roll from the first days of the cosmos through the long, fruitful path of biological evolution, has always been to connect. Connection creates new possibilities. And so, despite being fugitive and ephemeral, sound is generative. To listen, then, is to be open to the vitality and creativity of life. Not as a metaphor or mystical insight, but as a sensory connection to the physical and biological processes that lifted life and song from the Earth. We are recipients from deep time of sound's diversity and creative potential. The next chapters of Earth's sonic history depend on how we use this bequest. Yes, we are often destroyers, but we are also sonic marvel makers. Our music can join mind and emotion to other people and species. The spoken word can unify us into collective action. Listening expands the bounds of kinship, joy, and right action.
0: If you'd like to continue this listening journey, check out David's companion practice, Playful Listening, as well as my interview with him, Listening and the Crisis of Inattention, both available on the Emergence Magazine website. The narration in this sonic journey was written by David George Haskell. Sound design and mixing by Matt Mickelson. Additional sound design, music, and paleo soundscape reconstruction by Jonathan Kauchuk. And produced by Emmanuel Von Lee. Emergence Magazine is an initiative of Caliopaea Foundation. Our original essays, in-depth interviews, films, and rich multimedia explore the threads connecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Our new theme music is composed by H. Scott Salinas and Logan Stanley. This podcast is edited by Ben Solitiano and Devin Teleton. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. To subscribe to our newsletter. Order our new print edition and check out more of our stories, visit emergencemagazine.org.